Welcome to the Leadership Drift, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to the table. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of The Leadership Drip. Rob, welcome back to the table, friend. Um, I need to pour another cup of coffee because I'm out, but... Yours looks a bit stale. <laughs> it's <laughs> Thanks, thanks. <laughs> it's going to be a long day, I think. <laughs> yeah, we have, it is. We have our friend, our new friend, Jonathan Pacluda, um, at the table. He's a former leader of The Porch, which was a young adult gathering in Dallas, Texas. He's now the lead pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, home of Chip and Joanna. For those that and the Baylor Bears, Baylor Bears, champions. Oh yeah, yeah, That's yeah, right. Baylor Bears, yeah. And he's most recently authored the book "Outdated: Find Love That Lasts When Dating Has Changed." And I'm glad I'm no longer dating, friend. Let me Amen. just say that. Amen. So, Jonathan, welcome to the table. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Excited to have a conversation with you. Me too. Me too. So, okay, we we are uh, Jeff and I are foodies. Okay, so like we eat a lot. We don't we, make it. We eat a lot. <laughs> we're foodies, and that's um, a, like when guys say they're foodies, that's usually what they mean. When girls say they're foodies, that means something else. I've yeah. learned. But guys, when guys say they're foodies, it just means hey, we like buffets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So okay, uh, some friends of ours, the Ivies, we've had on the show. Um, you know, we like to talk about Tex-Mex, right? And so, uh, for you now, they judge good Tex-Mex by the salsa. What is your criteria for good Tex-Mex? Yeah, I would say you know a, a cheese enchilada, chips and salsas, and um, yeah, I don't I don't know how appropriate this next thing is. You can edit it out, but maybe a margarita. <laughs> so those, <laughs> those 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 three those three things would be the criteria. And then I, I might throw in fajitas. Those are, those are the things I'm intentionally looking at when I go to a Tex-Mex place to see if they're the real deal. Yeah, Aaron Aaron was very direct with us, and he yeah. said if the salsa's bad from go, he's out. Like he's, he's going to get up and leave. So Aaron's pretty pretty direct about his uh, Tex-Mex game. So well, it's good to know that at least you you measure it by a margarita. Like that's. That should be a standard unit of measurement somewhere, right? It really is those four things. I mean, I, I'm, as you asked, I'm thinking about like when I walk into a place. That's and I, even if I don't, even if I don't have anything to drink or, or anything, I'm just like I'm looking at like, all right, what are they known for? And I feel like those four criteria make for a great Tex-Mex place. Without that, they're you know what are they? That's a, their taco stand. Or tacos. I guess. They're probably Taco Bell. I so guess. Maybe. Taco Bell. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Well, now, listen, I feel informed about that. That's pretty good. So you led the porch in, in Dallas, Texas. It was a young adult ministry, very thriving young adult ministry um, at Watermark Church. Um, what were some things, some key takeaways from that that made you guys so explosive? The growth happened so fast when a lot of churches are struggling to engage young adults. Yeah, so it's so interesting you ask that. I, I do a deal on Instagram. I'll, I'll do a Q&A every week. And I was looking at it while I was uh, before we jumped on here, and I just got asked that exact same question. It, everyone wants to talk about why millennials and Gen Zs leaving the church. They're not leaving the church. That's what I want you to know. It is is we, we have to define church appropriately. The church has always been God's people, and where God's people are actively pursuing God through his word and having a real relationship with Jesus Christ, millennials and Gen Z are drawn to that. 
Now, the dead church, the cultural Christian church in America, the lukewarm church, mm -hmm. yeah, nobody wants in on that. That church is dying. And, and that's what I would say is if you're not reaching the future of the church, your church is dying. Mm -hmm. And that's not even a, that's not me being a prophet trying to come with hard truths. That's a math problem. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I had the opportunity to work on a project called Welcoming the Future Church that really outlines this um, this idea of if we call people to something, if we lead with authenticity, if we uh, give them a heroic vision and we deploy them, not doing ministry to people, but doing ministry through people, Generation Z, Millennials, they are, they are flocking to that. And so that's what we did with the porch. And that was, it was God's kindness to me to, you know, one day we were praying and just caught a vision for what could be. We made some tweaks uh, in the ministry. And I mean, it, it grew overnight from about 150 to 750 and then from 750 to 2000 and then from 2000 to 4,000 and then from 4,000 there in Dallas to 18 campuses around the country. That, and it all really came down to started with one meeting of just God's kindness. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you bring up an interesting point, though, because we, we've talked a lot on the show, especially recently in the last year or so, um, everything from celebrityism to Christian ministry to um, moral failures and pastoral leadership, the whole gamut. Like So um, I'm actually teaching a class this summer here on campus called Becoming More Than a Christian. And I think it deals a lot about with this stuff that you're talking about, especially with Gen Z and uh, millennials, um, that they're actually not dying. The church is not dying. It's just being redefined. And I think it's the redefinition of church that I think a lot of um, leaders, a lot of cultural uh, sort of challenges arise. And that's that's the real tension. Do you see that being the real tension between Without the change? Doubt, and I mean, yeah, COVID, COVID is like a... A fitness program for the church. <laughs> I mean, that's what <laughs> that's what's going to happen is we're about to get lean and strong, and uh, and or we're getting lean and strong, and and so people that weren't really in are out, and people that are really in are more in than they've ever been, yeah. and mm -hmm. and dying churches are now dead, and healthy thriving churches are healthier than they've ever been. And so that's those are the trends that I see with where we're at. And this this celebrity Christendom, you know, the that movement, ah, you know, that that's a tricky one. I don't know where that's going to go and and what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm slow to say, you know, hey, that guy's not a Christian because he's got six million Instagram followers. Right. I um, and, and I'm. And I think, you know, some of that is just like the on-ramp the Holy Spirit uses. It's kind of like the gateway drug, if you will. <laughs> it's like somebody somebody finds, you know, some clip of a celebrity pastor and they like their shoes. And so they they give Jesus a try. They kind of come in and and then eventually, you know, somebody comes and puts their arm around them and it's like, hey, you're, you're drinking milk over there. But if you want the solid food, come over here. Yeah. And then they do and then they grow and and maybe that's what happens. I, you know, the, the downside is some people probably get stuck in, in the milk, you know, drinking the smoothies. Yeah. 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 You, you said something like finishing on the project you worked on. Welcome to the, welcoming the future of the church. And Rob mentioned redefining church. 
And one of the ways that church has shifted in the last year because of COVID and different things is measuring engagement. How do we measure that? Um, what are your thoughts on, one, the online church movement, and how can we really authentically measure engagement around that? Guys, it's so interesting. And so I'm, you know, I, I love my friend, Kerry Newhoff, and I mean, he really thinks this is is a fault line in the history of the church yeah. that will never be the same. And so we've talked about that. I, I'm watching even at Harris Creek. And so like the so I went from a, a 20,000 person church in Dallas, Texas, with five campuses now um, to a, a relatively small church in a field outside of Waco. So we're not even in Waco, we're like 15 minutes outside of Waco. And, and so we have, you know, we have three services. We're probably running about 2,500 people right now. Well, online, any given Sunday, we're four X that. So four times who's actually there. And so that has changed all kinds of things that people that are listening to this will never think about. For example, I get an email. Uh, hey, my, my husband and I, you know, we're in a, we're in a, we're really in a bind. We need your help. We, we heard something you said, we thought it was great. We think that you can help us. Oh, oh yeah, I'd love to. That, that's what being a pastor is all about. Cool. You want can, why don't we meet after the service? Oh, we're in Pittsburgh. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> oh, I, well, I don't know. And that, that will sink the ship because, you know, we, we are a, we are staffed for a 2,500 person church. Yeah. We're not staffed for a 10,000 right. person church. And, uh, and so now I'm trying to figure out, well, how do we finally let that person know that, that I can't really be a real pastor to them. I can be a preacher to them, but I can't be a pastor to them. And then if they're just receiving preaching, you know, is that consumerism Christianity? And, and can you have preaching separated from pastoring? And do they go here for preaching and there for pastoring? Like, well, how does that all break down? And I don't think, like, this is my hot take. I don't think you will ever replace the local church. I don't think we can. Yeah. And so, but is that, but are the trends that I'm, you know, I'm watching what Francis Chan is doing, like is the future trend home churches and maybe at home churches, as you gather in a small group of people, you turn on a preacher, you receive a message, and then you gather in that smaller group of people to receive care and counseling it, it could go a number of ways. I don't think that the I don't think the mega church is going away like like some do. I'm watching VR, which you know there's there's a left turn. I'm watching virtual reality because that I, I I have to think that has major implications for the future of the church. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen have you guys seen Ready Player One? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's this character in that movie where she basically like goes to Hillsong every day by putting on her VR goggles and then she's there, she's present. And there's a, I know there's a pastor that's kind of running with that technology trend too, but I, I, I have to think the future of the church probably looks something along those lines is, is us using technology more and more for equipping. Um, a friend of mine, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, so just cut me off. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm enjoying it. No, yes. Yeah, well, a, a friend of mine, I, I think, uh, he told me yesterday, I can't remember what it's called, which doesn't make for a good story on a podcast, but it's like the Austin, oh, the legend of Austin, I think it is, the legend of Austin. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's what it's called. I could be mistaken, but the Ivies would know. We should get them on yeah. and ask them. <laughs> uh, it's 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 basically like early on in Austin, Texas, people started coming there because of the geography and and the landscape and whatnot, and um, and they didn't want to grow, and so what they did is they said, "Hey, we're not going to change the infrastructure, uh, you know, the roads and whatnot," and eventually they'll 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 stop coming. Well, they didn't. <laughs> they <laughs> they kept coming, and so if you've ever driven through Austin, we know traffic is terrible there because there's there's just more people than there are uh lanes on the road and um and i don't i don't want to see the church make that same mistake yeah, yeah. meaning like we have to say okay if these people are coming then somehow we have to create a space for them at the table and not just say well if we don't add to our infrastructure they'll go away i don't think jesus would do that but i do think as pastors we can say hey friends in pittsburgh you got to find a local church yeah, uh, but I don't know of a local church in Pittsburgh. I'm not a I'm not a Pittsburgh church expert, so that's that's the other challenge. Yeah, yeah. And these these are incredible conversations. And, and uh, no, first of all, I think you need to call Gabe Lyons and say, "Hey, I've got an idea for a Q conference. <laughs> have a conversation about virtual reality church and right and have that conversation." Right? Gabe and I actually talked about that. I, I'm almost positive recently. Uh, that that came up. I think he's the one that told me about. There's a, a pastor actually doing it. Gabe would know. Gabe would know for sure. But I, I think that would be a great conversation to have, especially with how many church of now churches now have been forced. Like it's it's either do it or die, right? Forced to move to an online platform, even if it's just a, a Facebook live stream, right? So so it, it's that it's at least they're dabbling. At least they're they're engaging in some capacity with with the technological capabilities to, to continue the faith forward through that, through that medium. But I think, I think these conversations about the future of the church need to be vetted. We like, we need to be having more open conversations about this in in a multitude of formats, right? Not only academically here on, on a college campus with college students, but also giving them space to speak into, to dream about, to influence, right? So one of the things that we talk about on the show all the time is engaging young adults. Yes. But actually, getting young adults to move right now in leadership and innovation through reverse mentoring, because my son can do something with an iPhone in two seconds that it'd take me two weeks to figure out, right? Right. So, so creating opportunities for for young adults in the local church to lead now, I think maybe this technology piece is perhaps one of those key areas that we can actually do that very well. Yeah, I, you know the human brain is changing. It's it's yeah. wild. Yeah. You know, my my kids' brains going to be shaped different because of how early on they adapted to the iPhone. And you know, I caught myself watching a movie recently, and I had my phone out the whole time, mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't really watching the movie. And uh, and I and I was kind of saddened by that. And so this, you know, I think there's something there to like a second second screen being present um but yeah that that as church as anyone it's not just the church i mean if i was the owner of a company i would be thinking through all right how do we use technology social media platforms how do we be early on adapters to things that that um that show up and it's hard because you're it's like it's almost like betting on horses at the the track uh <laughs> you're you you don't know if clubhouse is here to stay you know it, it's <laughs> I wouldn't have thought TikTok was here to stay, but yeah, man, wow, it, they're the winner yeah. of COVID. I feel like, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So here we are. So what have what have you done at Harris Creek or maybe the porch um, in ad, in adapting as technology's changed as as generations have shifted now with Gen Z is now becoming adults. What's some of the the wins you've made with technology and, and moving forward? Yeah, you know, something that we did that you might be interested in, in hearing about is when COVID hit and we sh- we couldn't gather. And so it's like, how do you gather as the church when you can't gather is the problem we were solving for. And so what I did is I contracted with some YouTubers because, you know, listen, like I, I love to preach. I feel called to and and humbly gifted in, you know, preaching the word of God. And it's interesting that my kids, you know, it's their dad on the TV, you know, because we were streaming through Roku and Apple TV and all that. It's their dad on the TV. I'm talking about them. You know, I'm telling a story about them and they're not even interested. Like they're, they're kind of daydreaming, looking around, not engaged, but then some YouTuber comes on and I mean, and this guy, I don't know what he's like slicing a watermelon with a samurai sword or something. And they are just completely enthralled. I mean, they are just glued to the TV can't get enough of it. I mean, my son is watching a video of somebody playing video games. Yeah. Yep. This is this is crazy. I would have never wanted to do that. Something changed, something shifted. And so I'm like, all right, people are consuming information in a different way. So when we couldn't meet, I'm like, guys, we got to reinvent church. We can't just stream this flat pastor into a living room. And, and so I started uh, consulting with YouTubers. And I'm like, hey, how do you guys think about this? And how can I take your craft and use it to equip the church? And so what we did is we pre-recorded the messages and we took them in post-production rather than like thinking live streaming. And we started thinking through editing and what does it look like to, um, you know, have things pop on the screen or to go somewhere interesting. That's not just the stage on Sunday morning because we're not confound by the stage on Sunday morning if people are watching from their living room. And so, so we recorded an Easter message, you know, in a cemetery. And uh, we did this cool thing where we kind of transformed into the church. Uh, we recorded in a, like a, in a really pretty backyard with a sun setting behind us. And though we started trying some of those kinds of things. Mm. We recently talked to Mark Clark, who's up in um, Van- yeah, Vancouver, Vancouver, British, Can- British Columbia. And they did something almost the opposite way. And so YouTube, he, he took the Netflix approach and like try to make what they do more Netflixy because people obviously I'm as guilty as anybody just binge Netflix, and so they looked at their their media and they go, how do we make it look a little bit more like a Netflix show? And they went wide panel like in a movie theater, and and so there seems to be no real good way, but everybody seems to be looking through a lens of going, we have to adapt. It can't stay this flat sort of monotone movement of a pastor on a stage because it's not it's not working it's not connecting it's it's kind of like the multi-site church model you come from a multi-site church model i have a lot of experience in multi-site churches um it's really difficult to pinpoint any kind of successful factors because almost every multi-site model works doesn't matter if it's if it's live venue preaching or if it's pre-recorded messages and they're delivered through a theater or or whatever so in the same kind of vein this technological approach you know what you're doing is working fantastic for you guys what mark clark is doing is working Mm -hmm. fantastic for them so it's really hard i think right now for a lot of people to 
to get a bead on what are the success factors or the success rhythms other than the fact you got to do something different. I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah. It's, you know, so you say multi-sites work in the different way. And so like, here's here, like I just play, uh, I, I don't like the term, but devil's advocate, if, if I may, and just say, or, or do they, right? Because it, it all comes down to how we define success. And so if we define success as the church having enough money to prevail, people showing up and, and really enjoying what's happening uh, and, and learning something, if that's the bullseye, then I would say, yeah, that then, then they're wildly successful. And, and somebody hear that and say, well, everything you just said is good. And so why wouldn't we define success like that? And I'd say, well, if we define success as making disciples, like mm-hmm. true disciples, mm-hmm. then, I, then I think we're never going to replace Jesus's model of taking 12 guys and just investing your life with them and just like having your life collide together. And right. just and it's not about meeting at a coffee shop one morning with our Bibles open. That's not bad. It's just not the, what Jesus did. And so what would it look like for me to grab some number of people and just having our lives collide together? And I don't know if that's communal living or what that is, but if that's, if that's the bullseye, like if that's what's, you know, um, if that's the sweet spot of what Jesus entrusted to us in terms of making disciples, then I say you would take this like Sunday centric model and that just got a little bit more diluted. And, and if that Sunday centric model is full of a lot of entertainment, it just got a little bit more diluted. And if that, that Sunday centric model is now um, a flat pastor on a screen, it got a little bit more diluted. I want to be abundantly clear. I'm not opposed to any of those models. I've been a part of all of them. Right. But I think when, whenever we as the church start talking about what works, we, we want to make sure that our bullseye is rooted in the Bible and, and it's the bullseye that God gave us because it's, you know, I have this fear, like it's like a legit concern. My, my son, he's, he, when he was seven years old, he found, um, he had a, we have a Nintendo something or other, I don't know, like 64 or something. Uh, and he's he, he was playing um I, we have a nintendo switch but this was a different console that that his cousin gave to him and he was playing this game on it and my daughters came in and they're like he's really really good dad weston's really good at this game and i was like really like that's interesting because he's I, I i don't know i just i'm i'm curious <laughs> that he's so good at this game and they're just going on and on about how great he is well it turns out the game is tetris right that's old school. Like that's our day. Like, man, we yeah, like, yeah. Tetris. like, come on, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so there's, they have this game Tetris where you're stacking these blocks. Well, what he's doing, and I think he was younger than seven. He might've been five at the time is he was just pushing the button, releasing the blocks to see how fast he could stack them. Uh, and, and to see how fast he could basically get to the game over, if you will. Right. And they're watching him and they think, wow, he's really fast he's really good at this game. And then I walk in there and I'm like, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're playing it all wrong. You're not winning. You're actually losing as fast as you can. Yeah. And I say that as a parable, as a metaphor, like I'm, I'm afraid, like, what if we stand before Jesus and we're like, look at us, man, did you see that? Like Jesus, we had 20,000 
people on a Sunday. It was so dope. I preached the paint off the walls. And our worship was amazing. We brought Hillsong in that day. It was so sick. Jesus, high five. And he's like, no, man, you were playing it all wrong. You, you were doing it wrong. That's not, that's not what I meant for you to do. And then I'm like, oh, oh, no, you know. So, so JP, how are you holding that intention then? Because you're, you're at a church of 2,500, mm-hmm. and, and you talk about 12 guys in this sort of discipleship model Jesus lays out. How are, how are you personally holding that intention? Yeah. I say the bigger we get, the smaller we must become through these life groups. Community groups, small groups, home groups, cell groups, whatever you call them. Um, in Exodus 18, Moses goes to Jethro and, and his father-in-law, and Jethro says, Moses, you can't lead all these people. You, you, there's only one of you, and there's so many of them. You have to put them in smaller groups and put shepherds over those or leaders over those smaller groups. And you know, we know the, the, the word in the Bible for pastor, elder, is actually shepherd. And so it's like we're, we have to create shepherds of flocks. And, and there's people, you know, that go to Harris Creek. And because of our, our history, we're 145-year-old Baptist church, right? I have this unique perspective because they still, there's people there who still see it as Mayberry. It's like, hey, I'm going to show up to church and then you're going to come to my house afterwards for lunch. And I've got your, your cell phone on speed dial. And I may knock on your door later because that's what I'm used to. I'm used to seeing mm-hmm. my pastor like that. Well, at Watermark, a church of 20,000, no one would ever have had those expectations, you know? Yeah. And so going through that transition, just realizing, you know, okay, how do we accomplish that? And how do I give them a vision of like, hey, I'm not your pastor. I'm, I'm the leader of a bunch of pastors who are leaders of shepherds who care for your group. And so when you're sick, and you're in the hospital, I'm not going to be there, you know, not because I don't love you, but because there's so many of you. And when you can't pay your mortgage, I'm not going to be the one to stroke the check. But if you are in this small group of people, you know, Peter says that we're all a part of this royal nation, this, this holy people, uh, the royal priesthood of people belonging to God. What does it look like for them to be your priests, for them to be your pastors? And for you guys to care for one another in this smaller group, what we do here on Sunday, it's corporate worship. I just want to remind you who God is and what he's done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. But when you go home, that's church. Now you are the church. What you guys do on Wednesday nights and Thursday mornings and Friday at dinner, that's the church. Keep doing that. And, and that's the one you belong to. And then when you come into this, you know, 2,500 people in a room, that's corporate worship. You know, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to try to inspire you and stir your heart and, and, and entertain you and, um, and tell you about all that's going on. But then when you get in that smaller group, that's church. Yeah. I mean, I, I like it. I mean, um, when, when I was at Saddleback, we would talk all the time about being a church of small groups, not a church with small groups. Right. So when you, when you live out doing life together, right, that's, that that's that is the key that's and so we we saw that all the time where somebody would face a life crisis and it was their small group that showed up to do the things right to to do the meals or plan the the funeral or you know support at the wedding rarely did did we get caught on as as pastors to lead in a lot of those things now we got asked a lot of questions about advice Mm -hmm. right shepherding the shepherds right leading the leaders pastoring the pastors 
So, I, you know, in terms of a model and holding the tension together, I think I think you're you're absolutely not that you need my affirmation, right? You don't need my yeah. my affirmation, but I, I fully believe in that particular model of of local church ministry. And the cool thing is, you don't have to be twenty five hundred to do that. In fact, you yeah. probably shouldn't be. You, you know, right. if you if you got twelve people in your church, yeah. that's where you start with those twelve people. And right. if you got twenty four, then you got two groups or whatever. I mean, yeah. the the number's not the thing. So I think the tension is is balanced with that doing life together piece, and I think you articulated yeah. it very so, well. So how have you at Harris Creek? It sounds like you mentioned Mayberry changed sort of that model where the expectation was the church, the pastor, is the primary source for everything. Like yeah. if I have if if somebody's dying, I'm calling the pastor. He's coming to pray. Or if somebody's having a baby, we're having the the baby shower at the church, and they're going to throw it. Um, whatever the, the the issue is, how have you helped shift some of that in releasing people to shepherd? Yeah, I mean everything I've said on here, I've said from the stage, and and in every membership class, I say literally, "Hey, this is not Mayberry," and and I'm going to be the primary communicator to cast a vision, and 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 in conjunction with the elders determine the direction of the church uh, as as we listen to the holy spirit and we search out truths in god's word but i'm not going to be the one to see you when you're in the hospital and i'm not going to be the one to to show up and and we may never have a meal together and and when you come up and you're like hey i just you know i'd love to get coffee because i just want to get to know you i want to get to know my pastor i understand the sentiments but you're going to get to know me better than you ever could is because I am an open book on the stage. There's, there's nothing in my head, heart or past that I wouldn't speak about from the pulpit. And, uh, and, and so I'm going to, I'm going to get in a small group myself with, with members of the body. They don't have to have anything special, you know, to be in, in my small group. There's no curtain between you and me. Hey, I'll sit up front after every message and I will talk to anybody until you're done. Uh, I'm, I'm approachable. There's no security there, if you will, like meaning there's no armed guard beside me. And, uh, and so that's how, like, Hey, if you need to talk to me, this is where I'll be every week. Let's talk. And, um, and if you need care and you're going to be a part of this body, you need to make sure that you're in a small group so that they can care for you. And, and the greatest discipleship that I know is when people are like, yeah, but we don't know how to counsel from the word. It's like, all right, well, you, you're going to have to learn real fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Providing that oversight and that yeah. training, yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, let's kind of switch gears here because I definitely want to get to to the to the book that that you just recently uh, released, outdated, um, and dating and dating relationships are one of those big uh, key issues that we talk about a lot, especially with uh, Gen Zs and and millennials. Um, so, uh, how do we teach teach young adults to to kind of swipe culture right and how do we help them with dating talking texting sexting the whole nine yards what's yeah. what what's your approach on that yeah as we as we transition to talking about millennials and gen z i want to do something i want to ask y'all i want to ask your forgiveness and your listeners forgiveness just on my margarita comment and here's why because i i remember i used to get frustrated at matt chandler uh, he would, he would, you know, make jokes about drinking wine and, and I was shepherding young adults. And I just, I remember having this conversation, you know, what they do in moderation or what, what we do in moderation, they're going to do in excess. And, and, um, and that, that's not my heart. I'm not a big drinker. My wife doesn't drink at all. 
And, uh, and I, I just was literally thinking through that question, the Mexican restaurant. And I was like, you know, that's a, that's an aspect of it, but I would just hate to be a stumbling block for any, yeah. any listeners in that. And so I want to insert this here as we transition to talking yeah. to yeah. you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And so, and so the question is, yeah, I think, I think we're seeing the the dating landscape has changed and, and it's, and it's gotten to a really frustrating place as I listen to single people. Um, and COVID did not help. And so today we've, we've essentially outsourced the, the ask and the date and the initial contact to technology, speaking mm-hmm. of where we've been. And so it's, you know, it's swiping, it's ghosting, it's sliding into DMs. Uh, guys aren't asking girls out. Girls are always saying no. And so those are all the issues that I address in this book, dating, finding love when, when dating has changed. I'm sorry, outdated, finding love when dating has changed. And just like, hey, what are the biblical truths? Because the Bible doesn't speak about dating because dating is only about 120 years old. Prior to 120 years ago, no one in the history of the world ever went out on a date. So this this thing that we've kind of bet the farm on, it's really new. And as we get better, and I'm saying that in air quotes, as we get better at dating, we get worse at marriage. And marriages are low. Uh, The divorce rate is up, say somewhere around 50%. But even those that don't get divorced and they're unhappily married. So you have that stat. And so here's the, the hard truth. Most people fail at marriage. That's, that's the really challenging truth. Uh, the, the happily married Christ at the center uh, of the relationship desires to stay marriage and make disciples in the home. They are the anomaly. And that's what, you know, if your listeners are believers, I assume, and they desire marriage, that's what they're after. And so uh, how can we help them? with the eternal truths of God, find that. And that's why I wrote this book. It's a, it's a great conversation to have, obviously, on a Christian campus. We, you know, college dating, the whole scene, the whole nine yards, but we also have some very cultural sort of challenges. I mean, like uh, ring by spring conversations, right? Uh, right? Get your MS degree while you're at Lee. Those, those kind of cultural sort of stereotypical things. And it seems like there's a there's a student that we know every single weekend getting engaged, right? Yeah. My son talks about it all the time. He's a he's a junior here, but he's like every weekend he has a friend that seems like they're getting engaged. So this whole conversation about dating, culture, marriage, um, I mean, have we have we put? Do you feel like we put any kind of idolatry around that idea Christian. of Christian marriage? I mean. But for sure, it, it, here's what it looks like in my in my humble opinion. Uh, you you mentioned Saddleback earlier. Yes, you were, you were, spent some time there. Yes. Okay. And so yeah, I, got, I had the the privilege of of sharing this on a Sunday there. Um, the the church has really elevated marriage uh, to like to be greater than singleness. Right. And it's, it's, it's almost like the church in the church, you've made marriage varsity and single JV, but the, that, that leaves out some really key scriptures. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse seven, you know, Paul calls singleness a gift. He says, I wish you were as I am. Paul was single and, and, you know, maybe married at some point, but at this moment he's single when he writes this. And then Jesus, he's really plagiarizing Jesus in Matthew 19. And this is a lesser known verse, lesser known scripture, but Jesus says, there are some who are celibate for the sake of the kingdom. Not everyone can accept this, but those who can should. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus really elevates singleness. And so I think 
singleness is good and marriage is good and singleness is a gift. And it's not this gift that we need to want to return or exchange for something else. It's a gift that we should do with what any, you know, any time a giver gives us a gift, we should, we should seek to understand why the giver gave it to us and how to use it correctly. And so anybody today who is single has the gift of singleness and they should use it for the kingdom of heaven. And so there's actually a quiz and outdated, uh, that, that will help you know if you have the gift of singleness mm. and it's it's been a hundred percent accurate and so it's really mm. really interesting that it's never it's never missed on anyone and it, it's just a, a question if you answer the question it will it will undoubtedly let you know if you have the gift of singleness but yes i do think we've made an idolatry of marriage and i think we've made it something it was never meant to be it's, it's really an idolatry of the wedding you know, and, oh, and the dress yeah, and point. the flowers and, and the colors and the bridesmaids and groomsmen and ring bears and all of that is, is at the, at the core of that idolatry. Yeah. yeah. Any, any premarital counseling I do, I sound super harsh when I say it, like, cause I usually go, I don't really care about your wedding. I care about your marriage. Like, yeah. like they're like, Oh, the flowers. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't really care about the, the 25 minutes we spend yeah. on stage. Yeah. I care about the next 25 to 50 years yeah. of your life yeah. because that's the test of of it um and, and so how do we how do we navigate really we're talking about about marriage in a christian context but the the sexual ethic of our world is just vast like in its its expanse how are you preaching and teaching a biblical sexual ethic in a culture that doesn't see it that way yeah i mean our work is the work of the Holy spirit, right? We're the messenger, we're the prophet right. and the spirit has to do the work in the hearts of the people. And so the other day, somebody told me that I propagate rape culture because I'm teaching purity. It's like, no, I'm no, I reject that. And I'm offended by it. I'm teaching purity because the author and the inventor of sex intimacy tells me, Hey, this is where it belongs. Hmm. Right. And he says, flee sexual immorality. All other sin a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of my Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You've been bought by price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So as God's prophet, as as a as a teacher and preacher of God's word, then I stand before people and I call them to honor God with their body. That's what obedience is. And and that that is that's fixed in creation that transcends that transcends any culture and so as as sexual ethic changes around us like we have to maintain and hold fast to a biblical sexual ethic uh, because it's always going to win like it, it will always be right like the world will say no we can have sex whenever we want the world will get married and divorced six times. Mm -hmm. The world will have all kinds of disease. The world will have all kinds of brokenness in the home. Can People will continue to grow in their dysfunction. And yet the follower of Jesus Christ will always experience something better, something holier, something more beautiful, something sustaining, something God-honoring, something worshipful. And, and hopefully, you know, people will see that and say, gosh, why does that work for them? Why is that so different over there? And, and to do that, we have to do that right and authentically. We, you know, uh, the greatest evil in the church is, is just like in off the inauthentic church where people are managing perception and sin management. And I'm not talking about that, 
like to the, let me, let me clarify and just say to the unbeliever, I'm not talking about their sexual ethic. Like they should be sexually immoral. That that's, that's what they should be because they don't have the Holy spirit to the believer. So to the unbeliever, I'm talking about the gospel. Hey, let me, let me share Jesus with you as you sleep with your boyfriend, or as you guys go do wild, crazy things. Let me share Jesus with you. Um, to the believer, I'm going to share the the scriptures. Hey, here's what God's word says. Yeah. And I think especially in this particular issue, because it's such a hot, volatile topic politically, socially, culturally, religiously, right? And I, and I think, you know, kind of what you're speaking to is taking some of the reactionary sort of um, responses to someone who doesn't know Jesus acting like they don't know Jesus. Right. Yeah. I mean, so if, if their starting point is, is there, right. Then that should not shock us or it should not, um, it, it should not be something that, that, that we get hung up on. Right. So we need to start where they are in sure. terms of, in terms of being, uh, sort of that inviting person into a conversation about what a biblical sexual ethic is. And I think, I think part of the the problem is, and part of the challenge—I mean, not problem, but challenge at least—is is that we we are so off-putting with with our um, biblical clubs that we don't—and I mean in the hitting sense, not in the not in the uh, techno yeah, sense, yeah. <laughs> right? Wow. Right? Those days are gone, right? That is a, that I, I guess, yeah, it's a, <laughs> right. And, 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 and that's the challenge, I think, as as leaders, as shepherds. Um, especially when it comes to conversational sexual, sec, biblical sexual ethic, I think we have to understand that people are starting at a far different place and we can't expect them to understand or know what we see or what we hear in God's word when they have no idea what it says. Jesus yeah. would always say, Jesus would always say, what does the scripture say? How do you read it? What does the law say? Yeah. How do you read it? And so I think again, to, to the non-believer, I'm, I'm talking about the gospel. Like, I, like the last thing I want to do is to try to change a non-believer's behavior. And right. so to the non-believer, I'm talking about the gospel. To the believer, I'm going to say, hey, look, here's 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. How do you read that? What does it say? Like, what do you think? Why do you think God preserved that text for 2,000 years so that we would read it today? And what does it look like for us to apply that text to our life? Yeah. And uh, and that's that's just equipping and discipleship. It was um, we had James Emery White. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. James Emery White. He was on on the show and he talked about how the starting point 30, 40 years ago for a non-believer, if it was, he had a scale of like one to 10. He said the starting point for most people was like a six or a seven in their morality um, 30 years ago, where today it's like a two. And he's like, we can't expect where 20, 30, 40 years ago, we expected non-Christians to have a, a sort of Christian morality. He's like, we can't expect that anymore. They just don't. So we have to start way back here with the gospel. And it's a longer journey in communicating to them the truth and getting them to that, that place where they accept Jesus and the behavior change than it was 40 years ago when somebody would go, hey, that sounds like how I already live. Why don't I invite Jesus into my life? Um, it's yeah. just a vastly different culture we live in. And, and you're right, Rob, we can't expect non-believers to act like believers. And then we can't be upset when they don't. Yeah. So, I mean, JP's right on, right on the money. We got to begin with the gospel with those people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, gosh, my brain is going in five different directions, but we're getting close to time. So, uh, we got, Hey, we got one final question to ask you. Can okay. we ask everybody yeah. on the show? And, um, and so our question is, what's one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? 
you know, so I wasn't following Jesus in college. And so I, I became a Christian right after college and I, I didn't spend a lot of time in the classroom. And so most, <laughs> of the, most of the lessons I learned were outside the classroom. But here's something that I go back to often is, is um, you know, when I was raised in the church, true love waits, all of that. And, uh, and I got to college and I didn't have any of the, the maturity to go with the freedom that came. And so I made some choices that, you know, just really foolish choices as it pertains to, to relationships, pornography, and, and, um, and purity, right? And so I just had, I had blown through boundaries that I had never intended to. And, um, and I sat one day, I was saying my prayer, not, I was laying down, saying my prayers, and I began to weep. And I reached out to someone the next day, and I just said, hey, this is what I've, I've done. Um, and I kind of confessed all my sins to them. And they said, yeah, that's just college. Uh, that's, that's just what you do. You just kind of sow your wild oats. And then after college, you come back to a relationship with Christ. And I, and I think often about how terrible that advice was. Mm-hmm. And I think about the scars that I have in my own life. And I think about the, the young adults that I meet that faithfully pursued Jesus in college and built a greater foundation so that when they transition to marriage, parenting, leading organizations, pursuing a life of singleness for the sake of the kingdom, whatever it may be, I think about how much further along they were than I. And, um, and so that, that's what I would just say is like this treat yourself mentality right now. It's like, no, these are the days to know God's word. And, uh, and so know it, write it on your heart, live it out, apply it to your life and be the world changer that he's called you to be. Yeah. That's great wisdom. Great wisdom. Well, we've enjoyed this JP. Thanks for being on the show. And as we always say here at the leadership drip, you have a seat at the table. Thanks for coming on. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the leadership drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channels. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.